0: And now it's time for Madison's Mad Facts with your host, Madison Standish.
1: Hey everybody, it's Madison. Welcome to another Madison on the Air bonus feature of Madison's Mad Facts, where we look at the way things were in real life back during these old-timey radio shows. It's October again, so this month we premiered our Halloween treat of our adaptation of Orson Welles's adaptation of War of the Worlds. Most people who aren't big fans or listeners of all-time radio shows have heard the story passed down for decades about the panic that ensued due to that 1938 broadcast. Well, for this Madison's Mad Facts, we're going to shed a little facts on those stories that may change what you think you know. With me to discuss Orson Welles versus H.G. Wells is Professor Pearson from our episode, Kareem Crompley. Hey Kareem, sup?
0: Hey Madison, thanks for inviting me on the show.
1: Anytime, my sexy-voiced British man. Okay, let's start with the basic facts about the Orson Welles broadcast of War of the Worlds.
0: The original novel of War of the Worlds was published in 1898, written by H.G. Wells. Orson Welles, along with Henry Koch, wrote their own adaptation of the novel for the radio program, The Mercury Theatre on the Air. It broadcast on October 30th, 1938. This repertory theatre group, based in New York, put up radio dramas of classic literature for the CBS radio network. They'd performed adaptations of everything from A Tale of Two Cities to Jane Eyre to Dracula, before taking on the H.G. Wells novel.
1: What made their version of the story unique to the original War of the Worlds?
0: Most notably, H.G. Wells set his story in England, with London and the surrounding townships as his backdrop of the Martian invasion. Orson Welles specifically chose to set his adaptation in the United States for a number of reasons. Firstly, his audience was going to be Americans, so he wanted to make sure there was a familiarity and connection to the locations. Secondly, his concept was to tell the story through a series of radio news updates and on-scene interviews. So, since the show originated from New York City, it only made sense to change the location. Most of his version took place in New Jersey.
1: But he changed some major characters too, right?
0: Yes, for example, in the H.G. Wells novel, the scientist is named Ogilvy, and he dies in the first blast from Martian heat ray. Orson Welles created Professor Pearson, meant to be an expert the news reporter could interview. But also in the second act, Pearson embodies the narrator from the H.G. Wells story whose character is never named. Pearson takes on the role of the original narrator as he describes the world after the destruction and ultimately discovers the dead Martians.
1: And of course, Professor Pearson wasn't British in the Orson Welles version, but we took liberties too. Speaking for our writer, it was a choice based on wanting to cast you in the role and give a tad bit of flavor from the original material. (laughs)
0: That's very charming, thank you And I'd I'd love to play the role, thank you
1: So then, the news reporter Carl Phillips Wasn't in the original H.G. Wells version either
0: No, he was created to fulfill Orson Welles' concept Of telling the story through news reports and interviews
1: Okay, so let's go there now The stories I've heard my whole life Is how listeners tuning in to the 1938 broadcast Thought it was a real news broadcast Not a fictional show And in a panic People packed up their things and drove out of town, sealed themselves in their homes to protect themselves from the Martians, and even jumped to their deaths from apartment buildings. What is the basis for that story?
0: Well, the main supporting theory for the panic story is that audiences had tuned in late to the Mercury Theatre broadcast and missed the beginning. At the start, an announcer welcomes the audience to the Mercury Theatre program and introduces Orson awesome Wells, and then begins the play by reciting an opening monologue taken nearly word for word from the opening of the H.G. Wells novel. After the monologue, the announcer gives a mundane weather report and sends the broadcast to Meridian Room at the Hotel Park Plaza in downtown New York and the music of Ramon Raquello and his orchestra.
1: Yeah, so audiences tuning in late would have heard the music and thought they were just listening to a music program.
0: So the theory goes. But there is also a similar theory to explain how the majority of the Mercury Theatre audience would have missed the opening of War of the Worlds. The much more popular radio program The Chase and Sanborn Hour, starring Edgar Bergen, ran opposite Mercury Theater show. It has been suggested that during a musical interview on Bergen's show, listeners opted to change stations. When they did, they heard the breaking news from the War of the Worlds drama and, believing the reports to be real, stuck around to find out what was going on, thereby also missing the opening announcer and Orson Welles monologue.
1: But why would these audiences hearing these quote-unquote news reports about Martians actually believe them? It's always kind of made me think they must have been pretty stupid.
0: Well there is a plausible reason for that in the panic story. By late 1938, Hitler, who had been the German Chancellor since elected in 1933, was becoming more and more aggressive with the Nazi army. It would only be a year later in September 1939 that World War II would officially begin. So, news reports from Europe were being broadcast in the US describing the growing attacks abroad. Americans were already on the edge worrying about possible attacks at home. And since the radio drama was slow to reveal the threat to being Martians, it is thought that people had already turned out of the show in panic about potential German invasion before that extraterrestrial plot point was revealed.
1: But these theories aren't actually true?
0: Research done both at the time of the broadcast and in the years since has shown that if any listeners did have that experience, the occurrences were extremely rare.
1: Wait, so nobody panicked? Then why have we been told that's what happened? I remember learning about this in class in junior high. Is this Mandela Effect or what?
0: No, actually, the Mandela Effect is when groups of people have a collective false memory of an event. The panic story of War of the Worlds isn't a false memory... It's false news reporting.
1: Fake news?
0: Well, yes. Throughout the 1930s, radios became more affordable to average households. When War of the Worlds premiered in 1938, nearly 40% of US homes had a radio. People were excited not only by the vast variety of entertainment programming, talk shows, sports and music, but as a way to get breaking news live as it was happening. Before radio, people's only source of news information was from the newspapers. Newspaper publishers scrambled to get out breaking news stories, but the best they could do was early or late editions. By the time they wrote the story, prepared the typesetting, printed the newspapers and distributed them to readers, radio, with its instantaneous broadcasting, had already scooped them.
1: So newspapers reported there was a panic when there wasn't any.
0: Exactly. By the time War of the Worlds went off the air, it was late on Sunday night, and the news staffs weren't in their newsrooms anymore. The only newspapermen working were the Associated Press. They took anecdotal stories of panic from their various bureau and generated news reports around them. This reporting disseminated throughout the country. The repeated stories of panic grew. Soon, it was reported that thousands had panicked as a result of the Mercury Theatre performance. Directly following the broadcast, Orson Welles had gone to join a rehearsal across town with the Mercury Theatre troupe. He had no idea of the panic his show was supposedly had caused. But by the time he emerged from his rehearsal, he was bombarded by news reporters, as he described it, looking for blood and the disappointment when they found I wasn't hemorrhaging.
1: How do we know there weren't really that many people who panicked?
0: A survey was done that evening by the C.E. Hooper company that debunks the panic story. This company collected data for radio broadcast ratings. Think of them as the first Nielsen ratings. Of the 5,000 households surveyed that night, when asked what they were listening to, only 2% said they were listening to a radio play, and no-one said they were listening to a news broadcast. This survey proves two things. One, it doesn't appear any audiences thought War of the Worlds was a real news broadcast. And two, it confirms that the more popular Edgar Bergen programme, a comedy variety show, would not have lost listeners to the Mercury Theatre radio play, which only garnered 2% of the listening audience. Basically, very few people tuned in at all to War of the Worlds
1: but that fake news did cause repercussions.
0: There definitely was a backlash against radio after the panic stories started being reported. Newspaper publishers argued the untested medium of broadcast radio couldn't be trusted as evidenced by the panic. These publishers demanded the newly formed Federal Communications Commission, or FCC, enforce heavy regulations on the radio networks. A very loud advocate against radio was William Randolph Hearst, who would later become the subject of Orson Welles' 1941 classic film, Citizen Kane.
1: So did the FCC enforce new regulations?
0: After evidence started coming out that no hospitals reported the spike in admissions that night due to panic listeners, and there were no cases of suicides as reported in the papers, the FCC found only a small group of people that actually had mistaken the Halloween broadcast for fact, and decided that there was no reason to pursue strict regulations. In fact, the Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction during the live Super Bowl halftime show in 2004 generated more regulatory response from the FCC than Austin Wells' War of the Worlds.
1: So why do we still hear the stories about the panic today?
0: The newspapers of the day continued to stoke the fire of the panic story long after the situation resolved itself. And since these American newspapers wanted to bring down their radio competition, they never reported on the actual facts and true outcome of the War of the Worlds broadcast. Plus, the panic story caught the attention of foreign news outlets. The juicy tale made Americans the laughingstock of the world, which fueled the misinformation even further. So, without the final chapter of events reported anywhere until decades later, a sensational story still permeates our consciousness today.
1: And since we're talking about H.G. Wells versus Orson Welles, tell us about the time when they met.
0: As it turned out, in 1940, both H.G. Wells and Orson Welles were giving lectures in San Antonio, Texas, and agreed to give a radio interview on a local station with Charles C. Shaw. During the interview, the 74-year-old novelist was skeptical about the panic over what he called the sensational Halloween spree, and asked Orson Welles, are you sure there was such a panic in America? And wasn't it your Halloween fun? To which Orson Welles replied, It's supposed to show the corrupt condition and decadent state of affairs in democracy that the War of the Worlds went over as well as it did. When the interviewer Shaw tried to insist that there had been what he called some excitement over the broadcast and tried to keep Orson Welles from belittling the results of his radio play, Orson Welles replied, What kind of excitement? Mr H. G. Wells wants to know if the excitement wasn't the same kind of excitement that we extract from a practical joke in which somebody puts a sheet over his head and says, I don't think anybody believes that the individual is a ghost, but we do scream and yell and rush down the hall. That's just about what happened.
1: Well, thank you so much, Kareem, for talking with us about the panic story following the 1938 War of the Worlds.
0: Well, thank you, Madison. It's been a pleasure. Bye.
1: And thank you guys for listening to our little bonus feature, Madison's Mad Facts. And get ready for new episodes of Madison on the air to premiere the first of every month. Happy Halloween!